In the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So being the only chaplain last year on deck serving the detachment for our Marine Corps Task Force, I often had some long days. Under the hard veneer of a military uniform, a stoic face, and a lot of training, Marines and sailors found a place where they could let down their guard, tears could be shed, and people could find some comfort, advice, or prayer in time of need. That place was my office. And most days were extremely busy, but Epiphany last year was different. It wasn't different because I was surrounded by Marines and sailors. I'd gotten used to that. What made the difference for me wasn't missing our annual Epiphany service. By the way, show up on Thursday evening at 7 o'clock. The difference came from recognizing that at Epiphany, we celebrate the revelation of Christ to the Gentiles. But on that day last year, the world received a revelation of horror associated with some sectors of the church in the USA. That afternoon, my phone buzzed. I wondered if it had been a message regarding a request for someone who had just been diagnosed with COVID, or if it were someone nervous about going to boot camp. My phone buzzed again, and again, and again, and again. I reached into my pocket to retrieve my phone, only to find a myriad of messages regarding events at our national capital. Outside the Capitol, cameras captured a multitude of symbols, crosses, U.S. flags, Confederate flags, a noose and gallows, and even signs that say, Jesus saves, and in God we trust. Inside, prayers were offered with hands raised. The holy name of Jesus was invoked. No matter whether you call these events a riot, a protest, or an insurrection, generally determined by your media outlet of choice, Many believers right along with me had to face a serious question. Were the events of that day a reflection of biblical Christianity? It's interesting when you have unbelievers walk up to you and ask you that question as a Christian. When looking at our gospel lesson, we find that Luke has provided us with a unique perspective. Gabriel goes to the Virgin Mary prior to our lessons beginning in chapter 1, and he explains to her that her son would be a king. He tells her, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. At the time of Jesus' birth, we find Mary and Joseph with Jesus in Bethlehem. But the seat of power, the throne of David, would have originally been in Jerusalem. Then there is this other strange factor that we sometimes seem to forget. The people of Israel, the house of Jacob, 
were under the rule of a worldly power called the Roman Empire. How would God fulfill his promise regarding Christ's rule? Unlike those who went to a seat of worldly power, our gospel lesson, which continues the Christmas story, presents Christ in a place not associated with worldly power. Joseph and Mary bring him to the temple. The king who will sit on the throne of David finds himself among the marginalized of society, the economically disadvantaged, the elderly, and the widowed. The son of God is the marginalized of society. The text reveals Mary and Joseph as a devout couple as they operated according to the law of Moses. They brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Luke also gives us a picture of their economic state as the sacrifice they offer is a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. When looking back at the law, Leviticus 12, 8 explains, quote, if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. That ends the quote from the law. The fact that Luke mentions the birds as opposed to a lamb gives us a peek into their economic situation. They could not afford a lamb for the sacrifice. Since Mary and Joseph were Jesus' parents, he could not afford a lamb because he was poor, just as they were. And now before anyone starts talking about the gold that the wise men brought, that hasn't happened yet. It appears in a lot of Christmas sermons and Christmas pageants, but we won't get there until Thursday when we celebrate Epiphany. In the life of Jesus, it seems more accurate that he would have been a toddler by the time the wise men arrived. And at this point in the story, he's not even two months old. Even in his poverty, though, this child would be called holy to the Lord. So, how do you treat poor people? Do you ignore them? Do you look down on them as lazy people who don't work and therefore should not eat? Remember, Jesus was born into poverty. How would you treat him if he could do nothing for you? How would you treat him if he were not God? Next, Luke introduces us to an elderly man, Simeon. And though a man who may have been respected in his society, given his age, he likely does not have the strength that he had in his younger years. He was described as righteous and devout, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, the first elderly people to whom Luke introduces his readers back in chapter 1. Now, some people may ask why I would refer to Simeon as an elderly man. Well, not to give you too many spoilers about this text, but the man basically says, okay, God, I've seen Jesus. I can die in peace now. This man's ready to die. 
And it sort of makes me wonder how long he has been around waiting for the coming of Christ. But here is what we know. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This man was directed to the temple by the Spirit of God to be there at the time Joseph and Mary would bring Jesus. Notice that Simeon, this righteous and devout man, received Christ into his arms. And while this man at the temple has the privilege of encountering Jesus in this way, those who were seated in seats of worldly power don't have a clue what God is up to. Simeon then says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Simeon's language sounds so much like that of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 49, 6, the Lord declares, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The language of both Simeon and Isaiah makes it obviously clear that Jesus came for the benefit of all peoples. He did not come for the benefit of people based on their nationality, their socioeconomic status, their race, their ethnicity, their color, their age, their gender, or any other human feature by which people choose to divide and separate themselves from others. Simeon tells Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Even as in the Magnificat, where Mary declares that the Lord has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate, Simeon's words give a similar picture of what is to come as part of God's great salvation. That is, a great reversal. As people rise and fall among the people of God and in the wider world, there will be those who oppose the work of God, sadly, in the church and in the world. But let it be known that even if you believe that you are on the losing end of the spectrum when it comes to the systems of this world, it is never your place as one who follows Jesus to attempt to create or facilitate the rise and fall of any through the use of worldly power. That is reserved for Christ, the King and Judge of all, to operate in his power and to do such things. And as far as the sword piercing through Mary's soul, I can only imagine the anguish of a mother as she sees her son executed by those who sit on thrones of worldly power. This is what happened to Jesus when he is found in association with worldly power. When looking at this encounter with Simeon, I'm compelled to ask, how often would you as a younger person today 
be willing to hear the voice of Simeon? And how often would you as an older person demand that Simeon's voice be heard? In light of what Simeon says and what God is at work doing, do you attempt to force those who sit in seats of worldly power to do what you perceive to be the will of God? Do you attempt to exercise ungodly or worldly means to accomplish what you see as godly goals? Have you ever considered what it would be like as a Christian to lose various rights and privileges in this country or to experience persecution like many have for centuries throughout the history of the church? Would you attempt to live by the sword and die by it? Or would you follow the way of Jesus and suffer as a Christian at the hands of worldly power? Finally, Luke presents another representative of the margins of society, an elderly widow. We find the prophet Anna. I mean, you probably couldn't be more marginalized in their society than to be a widow. The Bible even gives a criterion for true religion based on how one treats widows. But instead of her coming to the temple like Simeon, she was just always there. She was worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And while the text does not explicitly identify her as righteous or devout, we find that her function as a prophet and her worship of God highlight her status among God's people. She comes at that very hour and begins to give thanks to God. She, as a prophet of God, she does something that has not yet been done in this story. She began to use her voice to speak about Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. With whom have you shared the message of Christ? Are there Christian voices you desire to silence or would prefer not to hear? If so, what truth are you hearing that challenges you in your walk with Jesus? May we grow in Christ and receive the favor of God as we shift our focus from worldly seats of power to the one who has all power. Amen.